This is Solid Talk. Speaking out loud in depth. Check it out. Speaking out loud in depth. Cancel culture can't keep me in check. In front beginning, gotta tell us what's next. True believers, they can come and connect. Call in or even come as a guest and show each other respect. God bless you, family. Praise the Lord. My name is Brother Greg. This is Solid Talk, speaking out loud in depth. God is good. He is worthy to be praised. We are talking tonight, family, about troublemakers. Troublemakers. And you see the subtitle says, The Biggest Op. So the Lord woke me up this morning, and what he kind of placed on my mind was the passage in the Bible that talks about Paul when he was on a road to Damascus and Paul is on his road to Damascus and Paul encounters Jesus, right? He's traveling to Damascus. All of a sudden he gets knocked down. And when he gets knocked down, what we see, we'll read it in a second. What we basically see is um, the Lord begins to speak to him. And I begin to kind of read this chapter and really, really look at what's going on with Paul and things like this and, 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 and why the Lord had me to talk about this tonight. And so I just want to kind of look at this passage real quick um, to just talk about Paul and to talk about what was going on with him and how Paul really became the biggest op. Now, what is an op? Some of us know, but some of us saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost for a long time. <laughs> So an op is short for opposition. Okay. Now this is something that is common in urban slang, hood vernacular, right? So it's a hood term. It basically stands for somebody that's on the opposite side. So for example, if you're a blood and somebody else is a crip, that person who's a crip, that's your op. Now, I believe that it might have actually stemmed from Call of Duty, which is a video game. <laughs> but as far as I know, um, the, 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 the biggest thing that is known for now is just this idea of being a nemesis to the opposing side. And so you have ops, people are hunting their ops. And the thing about in the, in the street culture there's a lot of clout associated with being the biggest op, all right? So even though you're somebody else's opposition, even though they're going to be coming for you, even though they're going to be hunting you and all this stuff, if you're known as the biggest op, the way somebody gets that title is because it means that they have been causing a lot of issues on the opposing side, okay? So when somebody recognizes that they are the biggest op, then it kind of is is a good thing as far as, you know, the hood is concerned. It's kind of a good thing because what you're basically saying is you're basically saying, man, I've done so much damage to the other side that they now see me as a sole threat. They now see me as the number one threat. And so what I'm asking us tonight, I'm asking myself this tonight as well, is which you see scrolling across the bottom of the screen, are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? We're going to talk about what it means and what it takes to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And I believe the Lord has had me kind of meditate on this today because I don't feel like I've been enough of a troublemaker. 
right? God has called some of us, really almost all of us who, who are in the faith. He has called us to be troublemakers. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying that you go around and you just call trouble to the first person that you see. What I'm saying is that when you're a troublemaker, you become a troublemaker to the kingdom of darkness, right? You become a troublemaker to the devil. You become a troublemaker to anyone who is against God. Because the thing about why God needs and likes troublemakers, why he is calling for troublemakers is because if you don't cause some trouble in certain spaces, that means that you're letting everything go on as the status quo. And the problem with the status quo down here is that the kingdom of darkness has an agenda, just like God's kingdom has an agenda. God's agenda is for his kingdom to come to the earth. Satan's agenda is for him to be like the most high and for the kingdom of darkness to rule on the earth. So what we're talking about tonight is we're talking about an issue of territory. We're talking tonight about an issue of taking ground. Right. God has called us to take ground and in war, in football, in any type of sport, rugby, any type of competitive type sport. The way that you exert dominance is you take ground. The thing that God called Adam to do when he created Adam, he said, you're on the earth. And he told him to subdue it. That word subdue means to exert your dominion over it. So God's will for mankind in the earth is for him to have dominance over the earth, over the animals, okay, over people. You know, not not people like slavery or nothing like that. But what I mean is, is like he wants his kingdom. God wants his kingdom to be at the forefront of what's going on down here. Why? Because he wants souls to be saved. Now, when he told Adam to um, to subdue it, I believe I think he might have even told him that before the fall. I got to go back and read. That's not particularly what I'm studying tonight. And by the way, if my face look a little reddish, it's, I, I was shaving a little too fast. So if you see some blood or something, it ain't it ain't no deadly head wound and nothing like that. It's just a little shaving. <laughs> but glory to the Lamb of God. But we're talking about ex ex taking territory. We're talking about causing trouble because the word trouble is a relative term. See, trouble is only trouble for your opposition. So when I use the term cause trouble or be a troublemaker, I'm talking about the devil in the kingdom of darkness. I'm not talking about anything physical violence because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Right. We're not battling against flesh and blood. I'm talking about taking dominance over spiritual ground. Right. But the thing about it is the spiritual manifests itself in the physical. So what we see spiritually is that there's a lot of things working behind the scenes, but then it shows up in certain spaces in our society and in our culture. So now you got things in school like drag queen story hour. That's a spiritual manifestation of something that's happening spiritually, a war that's happening spiritually that's manifesting itself in the earth.
right? We got different things like, you know, gender confusion. We got different things like the, the spirit of murder that's running rampant in the land and in a lot of these, these uh, communities and territories, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. So the way that we combat this, like I said, is nothing physical. This is not a call to arms physically, but this is a call to arms spiritually for each of us, including myself, to get on our post and become a troublemaker, right? Not, not to mankind, but a troublemaker to the kingdom of darkness. And so this whole concept of troublemakers is really all throughout the Bible. It's really um, all throughout the books of the prophets. When you read about how uh, God called Jeremiah and Jeremiah didn't really want to do it at first. He said, I'm young. They're not going to listen to me. I don't really know what he was really saying is I don't want to cause any trouble. But God said, look, you're young. I don't care that you're young. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You're going to go out here and you're going to say what needs to be said. Isaiah, troublemaker. He prophesied on behalf of the Lord God of Israel, right? He, I, I think Isaiah ate, did Isaiah eat the scroll? I know Isaiah had the burning coals. He, 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 he saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated upon the throne and his train filled the temple. The seraphims on each side screaming, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what did Isaiah told him? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. So the angel took the hot coal and he put the hot coal on Isaiah's tongue. And then what that did was that purified Isaiah to say, OK, you're pure. Right. I'm empowering you to say what needs to be said. You said you're a man of unclean lips. I've purified your lips. I've given you the word of God. Eat this scroll, which contains the word of God. It's going to be like honey when it goes in your mouth. This might be Ezekiel. I can't remember. It's going to be like honey when it goes into your mouth, but it's, it's going to be bitter <laughs> when it gets into your belly. Because what we know is that the things that we say to people, are not always going to please people. I think Jesus even said, whatever is highly esteemed amongst man is an abomination to God. And so naturally, understandably, we want to be friendly. We want to have friends. We want to make friends. We, wanna, we want to like people and we want people to like us. But God didn't call us to like people or for people to like us. God called us to love people. And sometimes love needs to be tough love. Different people need different things. God said some you save by compassion. Others you save by snatching them from hellfire. Right. Personally, I'm one that needed to be snatched from hellfire. <laughs> and I'm grateful that God kind of did it that way because I needed a good knock upside the head. But what's happening culturally is, um, A, Satan just flat out don't want you disciplining kids at all. Like just discipline. He wants that out of the equation completely. You can barely discipline kids. They can call CPS on you. So he starts that young. But then the other thing is because of the removal of fatherhood, which we talked about last week or the week before, now what you have is entire generations 
that really don't understand what it means to have paternal chastisement. Okay. They take chastisement and they don't interpret that as love. But the Bible says that God chastises those that he loves and anybody that he doesn't chastise. The Bible says that they're a bastard, meaning a person that doesn't have a, a person born out of wedlock or a person that doesn't have a father. Right. That's that's the term that the Bible used. That's the only reason I'm using that word. And so basically um, to cause trouble means to ruffle some feathers to cause trouble means that I'm not going to let you socially and spiritually encroach on what God is trying to do in the earth. It's a tug of war, right? And, 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 and we can, as believers, we can fall into the trap and I'm going to go ahead and send the invite. Anybody can join in on this conversation and say anything you want um, relative to this conversation, but we don't want to fall into the trap of being pacifists. See, the thing about it is, Jesus was meek and he certainly was meek, but at the same time, Jesus being meek, he was also bold. And so uh, the caricature of Jesus that's portrayed in the media is really only capturing his weakness. Usually they only show him this kind of long hair, usually handsome, blonde hair, blue eyed type figure you know, usually a white guy just because we live in America and, you know, you just kind of get this imagery and he's just so soft spoken and you don't see him turning over the tables. You don't see him laying into the Pharisees like he did. Maybe it was in Matthew 23 or something like that. You don't see and throughout really a whole lot of his ministry. You don't see him um, getting on folks and you don't see him telling folks go and sin no more. Because. Satan as the prince and power of the air, he doesn't want that depiction, which is the full picture of Christ. He doesn't want that depiction getting into the mainstream. He doesn't want people to see that because if we're Christians and we're called to be Christ-like, then that means we're going to embrace all of his qualities. The thing about it now is... Um, <clears throat> The devil, the enemy, Satan, and, and you know, the, 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 the rulers of darkness and uh, spiritual wickedness in high places, they are okay with the pacifist, meek depiction of Jesus Christ. You got to ask yourself, well, in Hollywood, why would he be okay with that? Because what he knows is I can have somebody in church singing, dancing, doing prosperity, focusing on the me first centered gospel. As long as I don't have them doing anything that interrupts me, I'm cool with that. He's, he, he's not as threatened. He being Satan in the kingdom of darkness, they're not as threatened by uh, the, the half, the, the lovey dovey half Christian as they would be the Christian that's willing to go out and cause some trouble. And so we know on this channel, a couple of weeks, every now and then, y'all know I give some homework. My homework to you today is to go out and cause some trouble. Once again, nothing physically. There's not no physical call to arms, YouTube. This is a spiritual battle. How do you cause trouble as a believer? 
we cause trouble as believers by simply raising your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We cause trouble as believers by not compromising and bending to the will of Satan. We cause trouble as believers as simply spreading the gospel. Okay, going out evangelizing. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, whether it be outward evangelism or whether it be family, we, we cause trouble by spiritual warfare and going to war on behalf of our marriages and our family. We cause trouble by addressing and confronting issues that, that we see are going on, but nobody is willing to say anything about it. This is how we become troublemakers to the kingdom of darkness. And our goal, all of us should want to become the biggest op. <laughs> Whatever God has called me to do, go ye therefore make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. That great commission, he said, I will be there with you. That's where we get the power from. The fact that Jesus is with us, the fact that we're not out here as lone rangers just doing whatever we want, but we're actually out here um, with God backing us. The righteous are bold as a lion. How do the righteous become bold as a lion? Because the word righteous means to be in right standing with God. In other words, if God be for me, who can be against me? And that's good news. And so I, I know I haven't been as big of an op as I should be. I know that there was a time where the devil had me on his radar and he was like, okay, he he's a little, he a little, he a little goon, right? We speaking in gang terms right now. I'm just, I'm just pretending. Okay. He I see he a little, he a little goon. Okay. And, and, and so what he will do is he will send a fire extinguisher to come and put out your fire. He will send a, a booby trap to come and stop your momentum. And so we got to get to the place where we say, man, if you feel like your fire is diminishing, I need my fire back. If you feel like you made a wrong turn somewhere, Lord, get me back on the right track so I can become and do what it is that you've called me to do. You know, where did I make this wrong turn so that I don't make the same mistake again? And so so all of us, if we a little kingdom game, we just pretending, you know what I'm saying? I, I ain't trying to be sacrilegious or nothing like that. But we a little kingdom gang. You know what I mean? You you got uh you got you we we the ops to the kingdom of darkness. And you almost want to be, they got they got folks now in the gang. If if you're not the biggest up. There's another term that they got, which is called a crash dummy. <laughs> now, you don't really want to be a crash dummy if you're in the gang. because what? Uh, but kingdom-wise, we can probably afford to be a crash dummy, and I'm going to explain what I mean. A crash dummy is somebody, usually it's a young person who just wants to like they want to move up the ranks. They want to prove that they're down to do whatever. So you send a crash dummy out to basically do a hit. 
You send a crash dummy out to commit some crime that you don't necessarily want to do yourself because that crash dummy is saying, man, whatever it is that I need to show you that I'm a part of this, I'm down for the cause, I'm willing to do it. And so in the world, this is kind of stupid because the crash dummy is usually the person that pulled the trigger. They get caught. You know, next thing you know, another little henchman comes up and they just kind of use you. But in the kingdom, we know that we're not going to crash out because we have God backing us. Why? Because the battle is already won. The, somebody said it's a fight, but it's a fixed fight. Meaning that the devil is already defeated. So if we know the devil is already defeated, what that means is I can do whatever God is calling me to do. God is playing a game of chess, but I can just be the pawn or the bishop or the rook or the or the, the queen, whoever I am. I'll play my role. And even if it doesn't make sense to me, I got to understand that God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. He's playing a game of chess against the enemy. And even if it feel like I'm about to crash out, if he want me to do something stupid, if he want me to go, um, you know, stand right in the in front of the 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 the, the, the wildest strip club and and preach to the, the patrons going in, I'm gonna do it. If he want me to go and you know, on my job, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and say something about Jesus Christ to somebody. Well, even though maybe I'm not supposed to do it, that would be crashing out, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I know that I have the Lord backing me. And so as I was saying, the Bible is, is, is sprinkled all throughout people causing trouble. The prophets I mentioned, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know what I mean? Ezekiel, even the, 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 the um, minor prophets. That term minor, it doesn't mean that they're less significant. It just means that they're smaller books. But, you know, Jonah, see, Jonah, Jonah didn't want to be a troublemaker. Jonah actually just wanted to mind his business. He didn't particularly like the people of Nineveh. He, he wasn't really interested in going there, right? He really would have preferred to just kind of stay home and watch the football game or whatever, whatever they did for recreation back then. He really just kind of wanted to mind his business. And that's the temptation, right? Let's be honest. That's the temptation that we really just it's, it's like we love Jesus and we love to see people get saved. But I'm, I'm out. I'm on a train. I just want to go to work. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't like when people bother me. You know, people enjoying themselves on a Friday night. Yeah, they're at the bar. I don't want to street preach. I just want to kind of, you know, mind my business and just let bygones be bygones, right? I remember I was out street preaching with a brother in Christ, brother Jonathan um, K.O. I think he might have changed his name to Jonathan. But anyway... Um, we were, we were street preaching and it was this girl's birthday. <laughs> and I said something and she, uh, I was, I don't know what I said, but I was like, you know, God bless you with another year. And, and whatever I was preaching, 
it was like, or maybe he was preaching because I was having a conversation with her and I and and her little group of friends, and I was just kind of talking to them about Christ and handing them a track or something like that. And um she was just like, Man, you know, you're making me feel bad because it's my birthday. <laughs> and it wasn't like she was about to cry or nothing like that or a bad thing. It was just kind of like I had said something to convict her. And I, it wasn't even mean. I can't remember what I said, but it wasn't mean. But it was just something that caused her to think. Something that kind of pricked her heart just a little bit to say, okay, it's your birthday. You about to go out here and have some birthday behavior. You know, don't do nothing too crazy. Because before I said that, you know, she on birthday behavior or, or demon time, whatever they got out now. It ain't no telling what she probably was planning on doing that night. But maybe by God's grace, if I planted a seed or watered it, maybe she's thinking twice, like, okay, I was raised in church. Maybe I need to chill out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe instead of fit instead of five drinks, maybe I'll just have one drink and make sure I get home safe, right? Every little bit helps. So the temptation is for us to mind our business, right? Um, but even Moses, the meekest man on the earth. Um, was still a man who understood war because Moses, as meek as he was, when when the younger guys were fighting, I think it might have been Joshua or somebody, Moses was the one holding his hands up. I think he had to hold up the rod. And as he held his hands up, they were winning the fight. But when he got tired and, and he put his hands down, they started losing the fight. And so what happened was he had to get people on both sides of him to hold his arms up so that they won the fight. So my point in saying it is that even Moses, who was considered the meekest man on the earth at the time, understood that war is necessary. The Bible says that the Lord is a man of war. That's what Miriam Moses' sister said about God, and I believe she said that, if I'm not mistaken, after they crossed over the Red Sea, crossed through the Red Sea, um, when God parted the Red Sea, she began to break out into a, into a song and a dance, and she said, the Lord, he is a man of war. And so don't fall into the trap of passivity. Don't fall into the trap of feeling like the only way I'm a good a good Christian is if I'm just nice to everybody. Okay, we talked about that word nice on this channel before and really kind of the origins of it and what it really means. But um, man, let me do this scripture real quick. And then after I do this scripture, I'm gonna get to a few comments because I want to talk about Maybe I might maybe I might make my point. We'll see. I want to talk about how Paul became the biggest op. But before I do that, let's look at my man Elijah. Okay. <laughs> look at my guy Elijah. And I just want to I just want to say this uh, so we can kind of hammer it in a little bit more. Now, what we got going on here, if I'm not mistaken, there was a famine in Israel at this time. Ahab is the king of Israel. Jezebel is his wife. 
We know the run-ins that Elijah had with Ahab and Jezebel. But um, Elijah was so in sync with the Lord, right, that he was able to have influence with God. And so the wild thing about this is that, uh, let's just read it. So I'm in 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me make sure y'all can see this. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. Actually, let's begin at verse 17. No, 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 16, my bad. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubles Israel? <laughs> Now, this is how the enemy will try to um, gaslight you. The issues that Israel was having were not because of Elijah. The issues that God was having was because of their disobedience to God. All Elijah was was a mouthpiece for God. But the trap is that people will accuse you as the believer, as someone who is basically um, a, a, a troublemaker. And the thing about it is, <laughs> as far as their agenda is concerned, in disrupting their agenda, yes, you're the troublemaker because you're bringing it to their attention. But the real issue that they have is actually with God. OK, I think Pastor Gary Price says this. he talks about troublemakers, too. And he also made this point. He said when the mailman comes to deliver the mail and he gives you a bill, you don't get mad at the mailman, <laughs> you know, for delivering the mail um, for the bill. Rather, he's just doing his job as delivering you the mail. The issue that you have with the bill is the person that you owe. And God He's someone who, if we have not received Jesus as our savior, we have a sin debt. We owe him. And when he gives us, uh, when, when he has somebody speak on his behalf to convict us of our sins, what we're really doing is we're delivering a bill. We're saying, hey, uh, you're in debt and you have a price to pay. I'm not saying that you need to pay it. What I'm saying is you can receive Jesus Christ and he can pay it for you. But I just want to let you know that you are in a sin debt. And they see that as trouble. So verse 18, uh, and that's all I really wanted to just point out, just that one, one or two scriptures. Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Balaam. Okay. We know Balaam are false gods and uh, Jezebel, who was a Zidonian princess. She was one of the main influences to cause Israel to worship these false gods. He says in verse 19, 
Elijah speaking. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So we kind of know how that went down. You know what I mean? They had the showdown. Uh, but I just wanted to point out how the enemy will see you as a troublemaker. And if they do, that's okay. That means that you're doing something right. So what I want to do is I want to get into a few comments. Then after that, we're going to take a look at Paul's life a little bit and see how he became the biggest op. So God bless everybody that's joining. Anybody who wants to come on this discussion and just say anything you want about spreading the gospel, about the, how, what it takes to have boldness, about an example of when you were a troublemaker, go ahead and click that link that I just put in the chat. All you need is your cell phone or laptop. Um, that's really all you need, and you can just hop right on. So God bless everybody joining in. Praise the Lord. Uh, I see folks on. I'm not going to call too many names, but God bless everybody joining in. Here's a comment by Sister Yvette. She says, that's how I felt walking through the streets growing up in the Bronx. Holy Spirit showed me to put up my guard in more ways than one. Wow. Yeah. The Lord will give, will let us know what we need to do. Glory to God. This is and has always been a battle. So pick a side. Wow. A musician named Timothy Wright III, I think he's saying this. He said, tell me, where do you stand? Who's on the Lord's side? That's exactly what we were just reading about what went down with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Which side are you on? Which God is really real? He said, let the God that's real answer by fire, right? And that's exactly what God did. God will answer by fire. If you're doing something for the kingdom of God and he's asked you to do it, he will back you. He will not leave you stranded, right? He will answer by fire. A lot of us know, you know, we... You know, I've been going through some things on the job and whatnot, but, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the whole um, vaccination situation, but I believe God answered by fire. And there's a lot of people still fighting this battle, even up in New York. You know, you talk about the Bronx. I think I saw something. All the New York teachers uh, are still required to be vaccinated and some of them didn't do it. So they got fired. We're already in a teacher shortage. And they're still getting rid of teachers, you know, so the battle is not completely over, but we see the momentum is shifting. Um, even in the 60 Minutes interview recently, President Biden declared that the pandemic is over. Now, his administration walked that back immediately after. I think he was kind of off the script to say that. But all of us kind of know, for the most part, you know, it's it's. It's over. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that it doesn't still exist. It being, the, you know, the um, disease. I'm not saying anything like that. Like, it's, it's just gone. But what I'm saying is, as far as the hysteria, as far as the need to be, you know, like petrified, that's it's over. 
and that's been over for a long time. So um, hopefully the tide will continue to turn as far as that's concerned. Yeah, uh, here's a comment by Moni E. They want to believe that Jesus will go along with all of this nonsense. They absolutely do. And Paul said it this way. He said, if somebody comes preaching another Jesus, different from the Jesus that, that we taught you, he says, let them be accursed. So what's happening is a few things societal wise and even religious wise. You got the people who understand Jesus and who understand the gospel and they're standing up for the gospel. You got people who un who seemingly understand the gospel, but they're not standing up for the gospel. You got people who are not religious at all and they're not even concerned about the gospel. And that's their prerogative. But then you have people who want to pretend as though they're in the favor of God, quote unquote, but they embrace things that are totally against God. So they have a form of religion, a form of godliness, but they deny the power there, thereof, right? They're not actually embracing the, the transformation power of Jesus Christ. And so we end up with things like the first, like the pastor and the first husband. Okay. And I'm talking about a male pastor and the first husband. That might sound crazy, but it exists. <laughs> now we know these aren't legitimate pastors, but we end up with things like churches allowing people to do whatever they want, basically compromise. In other words, another Jesus. And so that's what we have happening is um, folks who want to pretend like Jesus will go along with the get along. They will make up a depiction of Jesus. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be on a white horse. A, a horse represents warfare because you use horses when you want to go to war. Right. And so he'll be returning on a white horse. Um, I got to go back and read everything else he's going to be having going on. But I think he's going to have on have on an outfit It's going to say the word of God. And I mean, he's going to be ready to take his kingdom. Right. To exert his kingdom. So um, we want to be on the side of the true Jesus Christ, right? The word of God. We don't want to be on the losing side. And sometimes uh, you, whoever tries to save his life will lose his life. Jesus speaking, he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's shall gain his life or save his life. See, that's that you got to really think about that, right? Like, I, I, I think I said it right, but I'm going to pull it up just to make sure I'm not talking crazy. Scripture, whoever tries to save his life, let's see. He says, and this is Luke and Luke chapter 17, verse 33. It's also in Matthew. I like, yeah, I know I like the King James Version, so I'm going to read that one. 
Luke 17 and 33. I know y'all can't see it. I'm just reading it real quick. Whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Wow. Let me read the one in Matthew because I think that's the one that I was trying to cite. For who, and this is Matthew 16, 25 through 27. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There we go. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels and he will reward each according to his works. So what is Jesus really trying to say here? What he's really trying to say is in order for us to preserve, to find life, we've got to lose our life down here. Meaning that I might have to give up my status. I might have to give up my reputation. I might have to give up some family members. I might have to give up some friends. God might call me to ruffle some feathers. God might call me to be a troublemaker. And God is saying, Jesus is saying here, if I call you to be a troublemaker, quote unquote, and you don't do it, meaning you try to preserve, you try to save your life, meaning I want to save my job. I want to save my reputation. I want to save my friendships with people who hate God. I want to save my relationship with my family members who hate God. I want to save my status, my clout, my whatever, my positioning. I want to save my fame. I want to save my money. I want to, whatever it is that you want to save, which is your life down here. And God has called you to lose it. And we say, all right, I'm not going to lose that. I'm going to save it. We're going to lose out on eternal life. See, so much of life is about instant gratification. Everything down here, for the most part, is conditioning you to understand that there's more value in long term than instant gratification. Why is that? Because the long term is synonymous with eternal life. The instant gratification is synonymous with saving your life at the expense of your soul, a.k.a. gaining the world and losing your soul. So we see this everywhere. We see this in food. We see this in education. We see this in relationships. You know, us that was out, out here thotting. You know, ain't none of us married now. <laughs> and so now here we are in our late 30s and 40s. You know, we 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 had our part, right? You know, we had our fun. You know, you, you eat a bunch of junk food, your junk food, you know what I'm saying? You done filled up on potato chips and candy. And 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 you, you know, it like filled you up for that moment. Now you really just feeling kind of sick. 
And here comes somebody, they done brought out some brisket and some mashed potatoes and gravy and some spinach, some not just like some sauteed, buttery, garlic, spinach. Oh, maybe y'all don't like that. That sounds good to me. And it's like you want it, but you can't even you can't even partake because you filled up on the nonsense. So everything down here, God is trying to signal to us eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, long term. Don't worry about right now. Worry about the long term. I know it's painful for the moment. You're going to reap a harvest. Just trust me. Eternal life. I know it doesn't feel good to 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 uh you know be considered strange because you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't party in club anymore, you're not out here fornicating. But think about eternal life. I know it's not pleasurable if I called you to go out here and talk to strangers and and, and go out here and minister to the homeless and, and go out here and you know talk to these kids and you know, but long term, eternal life, eternal life. There is a reward that God has promised. The question is, do you have the faith to believe? Because faith is what motivates us to do right. People who are really good at working out and eating right, they actually have high faith because some of them might've just had been great genetics and always been fit. But let's take somebody who wasn't always fit and then they got fit. At some point in their mind, they made a decision where they said, I just had a tough workout. I'm out of shape. I just had a tough workout. I look the exact same right now as I did when I walked in. But I have faith. That if I do this tomorrow, and if I sacrifice this cookie that I really want, and I eat a, an apple instead, and it doesn't feel good, yes, I want the cookie, but I have faith if I make this decision and I get this small win today, it's going to lead to a larger win in the long run. And they do that over and over and over until it becomes what? A lifestyle. And eventually what happens? Eventually, the manifestation of that faith and the works that were inspired by that faith, because faith without works is dead, it begins to show up in their life. So they look in the mirror. Okay, every individual day when I go to the gym, I come out looking the exact same as I did when in. But now that I'm looking at myself now compared to six months ago, now I'm seeing there's a huge difference. And so God tells us to do something. I'm going to take him at his word. I go out and I do it. And then I, I do it again. And I do it again. And now all of a sudden, you know, or maybe I've been praying. I've been praying for something. And somebody at my at my at my church told me, you know, asking ye shall receive and seeking ye shall find and knocking it shall be opened unto you. 
And okay, I said, okay, I'll I'll try it. And I, you know, I tried it, I tried it. And all of a sudden, God moved. All of a sudden, he did what he said he was gonna do. I found out that that word is actually true. And so what does it do? It inspires me to do it again. And so now I'm learning more about God. If you can do that, God, what else can you do? You know, you answered that prayer. What other prayers can you answer? You know what I mean? You, you look, sky, sky ain't even the limit because with man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. And so can we get ourselves to the place where we really believe in God, all things are possible? If we really believe that, that's what's going to inspire our, our works. The faith is going to inspire our works. Glory to God in the highest. Here's a, a scripture. No, wait. Here's a, oh, yeah, here's a scripture. Moni says, do not think, and this is what Jesus said, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, etc. Wow. What did Jesus mean when he said that? What he meant was, Yes, I'm the Prince of Peace, but don't think that I came to bring peace upon the earth, a.k.a. Jesus himself saying, I'm a troublemaker. When he turned over those tables, he was a troublemaker. When he laid into the Pharisees, he was a troublemaker. When he cast demons out of people, he was a troublemaker to the kingdom of darkness. And so when he says, look, I'm here to separate people, he's saying, I'm calling out who I'm calling out. I came for the lost sheep of Israel and I got some in this fold and I got a whole bunch in another fold that you don't even yet know about. Talking about the Gentiles. So Jesus came to, st to stir some things up. He came to ruffle some feathers. Glory to the Lamb of God. Here's a comment by Sister Yvette. True. That's why my strict reputation as teacher is embraced and appreciated only after the kids know I come in love with needed discipline. So much distraction, which leads to foolish trouble. Yeah. And that's that that is another example of long term investment. Right. You know that even if one of these kids doesn't understand me right now, doesn't appreciate what I'm doing. Maybe they want to rebel against me because they, they got a safe face or they, they're trying to protect their little egos, their little big egos. Years later, they're going to appreciate you for that. Chastisement is a gift because chastisement is basically keeping somebody on the right path. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of criminals and stuff like that. They get out here and they bucket the cops because they've never been chastised. There's a lot of women, they 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 
arguing with their boyfriends every five minutes and showing out and getting up in his face and slapping them sometimes because they never been chastised. And what it is, is something in humanity that longs for a father. And there's something that's built into us that when done healthily, we know that chastisement is a form of love. Right. We know chastisement is a form of love, but we got to get it early. Got to get it early in the right way, because otherwise folks are just going to be out here wilding. it's going to become unfamiliar to them. And the first time a cop gives you a simple instruction like, you know, uh, put your hands up or put your hands behind your back or, you know, let me see your ID. Because another man is saying to saying something to you and giving you a commandment and that person's never had a dad to actually exemplify authority is so foreign to them that they just totally reject it. You know, I'm getting a teeny bit off topic here, but <clears throat> I was talking and, and we need to have a separate solid talk about this. But I was talking to a few brothers in crisis week on a text about about chastisement. About chastisement, right? Chastisement. And there was a scripture that stood out to me. I got to find it. But the scripture basically said, um, chasing a child, out there is still time. Let me see if I can find this. Um, and I just, I had read it before, but when I read it this week, it just stood out to me so much. Oh, no, it didn't even say time. Let me show you what it said. It says, chasing thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What that means is, and I'm going to share it just because we need to see it. What this actually means is, and I asked my, 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 my brothers in Christ this. I said, does this mean that there's a window of time or a window of opportunity where there is hope for a child? Because it, the Bible just said in Proverbs, chasing thy son while there is hope. So what that tells me is that there's going to come a point in time where if somebody hasn't chasing their son, they become hopeless. I mean, y'all seeing this, are y'all reading this like I'm reading it? And then it says, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. In other words, don't worry about if he crying and all that. Just let him, let him get it out of his system because what you're doing for him right now is more important. And so after reading this scripture, I got to ask the question, are we raising uh, or have, have, have we raised a hopeless generation? And I'm not saying uh, everybody in the generation, because there's a whole lot of people that have been raised the right way. And to be honest, we know through Jesus Christ, you know, he is hope. So, you know, I believe Jesus can, 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 you know, is more powerful than anything. But the Bible did say 
chasing, in other words, discipline your son, your child, that can mean son or daughter, while there is still hope. So we got a lot of folks running around who haven't experienced any type of real discipline. And um, if somebody don't intervene in their life, you know, it's going to be a hopeless situation. Um, and so, so, so I thank you for that, Sister Yvette, for being that type of teacher. Um, you know, we had a movie growing up called Lean on Me. And you don't see too many teachers like that today. He was a male teacher also. I think Morgan Freeman played him. But he was in a troubled school. And because he actually showed them tough love, he was able to change the course of some of those kids' life lives. And I know that's a movie, but the truth is we can have that impact on youth. And so I've seen it. I, I know, I know folks, you know, I'm in Facebook groups, middle school groups, high school groups. And mainly in my middle school, because I went to like I went to kind of like the smart high school. So we didn't really have a lot of bad kids at that school. But in my middle school group, I see a lot of them kids saying, oh, you know, y'all remember this teacher? And they like, oh, yeah, they was mean, but I appreciate it today. And so it's 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 a long term game. It's an investment. Even with money. God is teaching us investment long term, eternal life. Glory to God in the highest. I'm still going through some comments. Moni says she's having internet difficulties. Hopefully it's not any any other folks having those issues. But God is just so good, family. He's just so wonderful. Glory to God. MSM says, just join. What's the topic? Talking tonight about how to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And in a minute, and we're going to do this quickly, we're going to talk about Paul and kind of what, what made him who he was. Glory to God in the highest. I think I might have caught up most most of the most of with mo uh no I didn't and <laughs> not, not even close. Destin Fomo says, "Why the fit person? The faith is a good analogy to having faith. Definitely required for the results. Absolutely." Sister Mar, oh God bless Sister Marcia joining a little late. Praise the Lord. She says, it's up to the parents to work the rebellion out of our children by the authority of the word of God due to our calling as our children's covering. Absolutely. The Bible says it this way. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it out. Last comment I'm reading for now. Uh, Lean on me. Yeah, very good movie. I haven't seen that joint in a minute, but maybe I need to go back and check that out. That was, I remember that song, though. I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, I, I know I want to sing it right now. I want to sing it right now. <laughs> but I'm going to stay on topic. Like, I, 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 can't, I can't afford to lose no subscribers, so I ain't going to sing that tonight. Glory to God in the highest. Let's look really, really, really quickly at Paul. Um, We know Paul. We already know who he is. We already know what he did, you know, stuff like that. 
But uh, I want to first just note how Paul started out. So Acts chapter 8, and this is right after Stephen got stoned. It says, and Saul, now, now this is referring to Paul. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the first thing I want to note is um, the sovereignty of God. Paul had developed such a reputation and, and, and people like Paul, you know, after Stephen got stoned, um, it caused believers to move because it became dangerous. Now, if we don't really see the sovereign mind of God, we don't know, you know, we might think that's a bad thing. But in actuality, the persecution actually caused believers to go to other places, right? And so now instead of everybody being concentrated in one place, believers are going out. And so then we learn about Philip. Philip is somebody, we're not going to read about him right now, but Philip started going all over the place evangelizing, right? You know, it's like, hey, if I'm, you got to go where the place is hot, right? And 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 so, they started going to other places. So now we got uh, the characteristic of Paul, you know, um, how he was in favor of that. And he contributed to the spreading of the faith, even though he didn't know it at the time. Right. And so what happens with Paul next? Go over to Acts chapter nine, the very next chapter. Now we're going to learn about the road to Damascus. So starting at verse one, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. In other words, Paul was so gung-ho about, he was so zealous about persecuting Christians and locking them up that he asked for permission to go to Damascus to go get some more Christians. I want to lock some more of them up. Now, this is Saul. Let me call him Saul. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell where? He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In other words, Saul, why are you persecuting me and causing me so much trouble? Now, the thing about uh, Saul and what it takes to become a threat to the kingdom of darkness, he started off as a threat to the kingdom of God. But God is so powerful that he was able to take all of that zeal 
and 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 he was able to actually um see the depths of Paul's heart because believe it or not Paul was under the impression that he was doing something for God there's people that are going to persecute Christians the bible says they're going to feel like they're doing God's service meaning that they're working for God by destroying Christians because they don't know that Christ is the way to God. But God saw that, man, this dude is zealous and his intentions are pure. I'm going to use them for my team. And, and there's no bigger op than somebody who switches sides. Because it's like, man, you had all the intel on this side. And there's no bigger op at all than a snitch. Right. A snitch is like just they at that point, they're not even really up. They're like a rat. But when but when you switch sides and you become a snitch and Paul in some in certain type of way, this is all an analogy. He kind of became a snitch because he started off as one of these zealous Jews, a Pharisee persecuting Christians. Then he found out that Jesus is the way. And he became a part of the movement, which was the way Yeshuaites, we call them Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians. So now he's on board with the way. And he's saying, man, I'm going to tell everybody the secret that the devil doesn't want to get out. So he became a snitch. But before you can get to this, right, he's having this conversation with Jesus. Verse five says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That word kick against the pricks means to resist, you know, resisting. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So they see Paul speaking. They even hear the voice speaking to Paul, but they don't see anybody. So now it's like they came here for one thing. God interrupted the whole plan. And that's what God will do in the life of a lot of people. A lot of us had plans. We was doing our thing. We was doing me, doing us. And God interrupted. God caused his own trouble in our plans so that his plan could be fulfilled. And so it says in verse eight, and Saul arose from the earth. Okay, that's what I want to say. God will cause us to hit rock bottom. He had to knock Paul down all the way up there in verse four. He had to knock Paul down to come to a low place of what? Humility. He had to bring him to humility. And the irony of this is that when you look up Paul's name, okay, Paul's name, uh, most places, let's just look it up real time real quick. Uh Actually, I'm gonna just I'm gonna look it up and just tell y'all because I don't want to have to keep switching the screen. Uh, Paul name meaning Bible. 
if you look up the meaning of Paul's name, Paul's name actually means small, little, okay? It depends on where you go. A lot of it says um, uh, small, little, and then humble. So he went from being Saul, okay? Uh, the, the, the name Saul means uh, asked for, right? Now, where does that come from? That comes from King Saul when Israel asked for a king because they wanted to be like everybody else. God gave them Saul because I guess he said, this is what you asked for. <laughs> and so that's how they got. That's how you get the meaning of Saul. But when God chose to use Saul, he said, I've got to change your name. Let's read up to that point. So we got. So we are up here in verse eight and Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were open, he saw no man. Did he call him Paul yet? Now, he, he must not have said it yet. When did he change his name? Anyway, hold on real quick. Let me, let me do it. Let me do a search. Okay, Sir Paul, the name Paul does not appear in this chapter, but we know ultimately his name was changed to Paul, okay, which means humble. And so the irony of the kingdom of God is to be the, if you want to be the biggest op what, to the kingdom of darkness, what that means is you got to be the most humble. In a minute, we're about to read where God is going to tell Ananias, hey, I got this guy named Paul coming to you. Receive him. I know you heard about his reputation, but he's different now. Receive him. And I'm going to show him what trouble he's going to, what suffering he's going to have to endure for my sake. If you want to be the biggest op, you got to suffer for the kingdom of God. The disciples were trying to figure out which one of us is going to be the greatest. They were over there having a little debate. And he said he grabbed some child. It's always just random kids around in the Bible. I don't know where they come from. <laughs> I don't know where their parents are. He grabbed some child. He said, whichever one of you wants to be the greatest in the kingdom, you got to be as humble as this little child. So God made Saul humble. He changed him to Paul because he said, I'm going to use you mightily. I'm going to use you mightily. And Paul did suffer a lot. Shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, jailed in prison, beaten to a pulp. But he did it for the sake of the kingdom. He was a crash dummy. But what he knew is that what God has on the other side for me, it's worth everything that I'm going through. He wasn't a dummy. 11 of the 12 disciples, apostles, they were killed, not died. They were killed. The one that, that lived to his death, he was exiled on an island, you know, and basically beaten and imprisoned. And they, I guess they figured we beat him to death. We might as well just exile him and let him die out. They had all counted the cost of what it took to follow Jesus Christ.
Woodman begins to build something without counting the cost and seeing if he has enough to finish. So let's knock out this. We're going to read this real fast. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. God was teaching him faith. You got to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Now, let me say this too. Tarsus is um, basically where Turkey is today, if I'm not mistaken. But but Paul was kind of, he was already born in a Gentile place, which was the norm at the time, right? And this is why God was able to use him for the Gentiles. You know what I mean? But let's keep going. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So he's saying, look, I'm talking to you now. I already didn't talk to Paul, Saul. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. He was a troublemaker. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. 15, but the Lord said unto him, talking to Ananias, Go your way, for he is what? A chosen vessel unto me to do what? To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must, he must suffer for my name's sake. And I, Ananias went his way and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, have sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received what sight? Forwith. The sight that Paul received, it wasn't the same sight. Because through the power of the Holy Ghost and through the intervening that God did in Paul's life, Paul is now seeing things differently. So who was once my enemy, uh, Christians, now my enemy is the kingdom of darkness because I now have received sight, real sight. The sight that Paul had before, he was actually already blind. God was really the three days of Paul not having sight. God was really kind of saying, you, you, I'm really showing you how blind you really are. And I'm teaching you how you're going to have to live by faith. Then when he opened his eyes, the scales came off. If our gospel be hid, it's because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds so that the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ can't shine through. 
Folks are walking around that don't know Christ. They're blind. So when we see somebody who is an op and they look crazy, we can't write them off because there's going to be a lot of people that we're going to look at and say, man, that person is far gone. But what God is really doing is he's letting them get is look, build up all that zeal, build up all that boldness, get as crazy as you want to get. Because when I come into your life and I intervene and I show you true power and who I really am, I'm going to use you mightily and I'm going to use you in the very same space that you came from. Tarsus, like I mentioned, it was over there in some some area. And of course, we know Paul had Roman citizenship. He was already like like in with the Gentiles. So God said, I'm going to use you as in the very same space. So there's a lot of gangsters that's out here thugging. They in these gangs, don't write them off. Spread the gospel to them. Because once they get saved and they start going hard, they're going to be right there in the trenches. There's a lot. There's some transgenders that God is going to save. They're going to be right there in the trenches of that space. There's a lot of, uh, you know, murderers and liars and criminals and gossipers. And there's some rappers, secular rappers that God is going to use, like my man Ice J.J. Fish. And he's going to use them right in that same space. Because God is not out here playing checkers. He's out here playing 4D chess. He's really playing a game that we don't even, the type of game God playing, we don't even, we can't even fathom that type of strategy. But that's just how great he is. So, man, God is good. Listen, I'm just about done, family. I'm going to leave you with the homework that I've given myself. <clears throat> and this is a homework for y'all as well. This week, as far as the kingdom of darkness is concerned, Go out and cause some trouble. Consider yourself like you in a war against the kingdom of darkness. And really, honestly, the first war we have is with ourselves, right? Because the flesh, as much as y'all hear me on here talk about the devil and the kingdom of darkness, the, the biggest enemy for each of us individually is the old man. So kill that old man. Do whatever you got to do. Make up your mind you're going to serve the Lord. Make up your mind if you need to fast, whatever you got to do, get yourself right. Once you get him subdued, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't slay him. You know, you didn't slay that Goliath who was out there causing trouble. Then you get out there, you get your five stones like David, and you go slaying some more Goliaths by doing what? Raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Being an influence and a mentor to a child who doesn't have a positive influence in their life. Going out and asking somebody, do they know Jesus Christ? What is your relationship like with him? You know, when, when was the last time you, you know, uh, prayed? You know, whatever. Going out there and doing what? Being light in a dark world. Biggest thing about the best thing about us being the biggest op is we ain't got to kill nobody. We ain't got to commit no crimes. We ain't got to rob no banks. 
We ain't got to do no drug deals. All we got to do is go out and spread the love of God. Albeit tough love sometimes. You might you might make a few, uh, you might ruffle some feathers because you are the troublemaker. But listen, long-term goals. So listen, family, I thank y'all. God is good. Don't think that your life can't have impact. Because if God has asked you to do anything, we are in this fight together. The battle is already won. All you got to do is stay the course and do what God has asked you to do. That's all I got in this Solid Talk family. I thank y'all for hanging out with me a little bit. God is good. He is worthy to be praised. You all take care and be blessed. Culture can't keep me in check And from beginning gotta tell us what's next True believers they can come and connect Calling or even come as a guest And show each other respect I keep it solid I'm dropping knowledge Wisdom understanding just like you done went to college Devil know we working His goal is to try to stop it Helmet of salvation and shield of faith that'll block it Controversial topics Just to keep it honest Truth hit hard just like it's a blunt object Culture Living godless, I can't even call it. We in the last days, Babylon is falling. Don't kill the messenger, I can't mess with ya. Points got a plethora, this life will keep on testing ya. Just walk and get the best of ya. I'm trying to tell you, bruh, only a render shall be saved. We trying to get the rest Speaking of ya. Speaking out loud in depth, cancel culture can't keep me in check. In from beginning, gotta tell us what's next. True believers, they can come and connect. Call in or even come as a guest and show each other respect. Spiritual wickedness in high places Trying to cause division with the people and the races Jesus gave commission, say go out to all the nations So we streaming live on television and the stations No, we taking off like asteroids up in the spaces The cross was Eddie Murphy, then I grow we trading places The lost must understand that we cannot be void of graces So we preach it to a generation that is faithless Understand his greatness, ancient of the ages Written on my heart, the red letters of the pages the blood of jesus covers all my sin and it erases i pleaded and believe it so it covers all my bases speaking out loud in depth cancel culture can't keep me in check in from beginning gotta tell us what's next true believers they can come and connect call in or even come as a guest and show each other respect try and keep my sanity amongst calamity social media nothing more than narcissistic vanity pc culture on a mission and they try to cancel me but i know jesus gonna to keep me covered like a canopy Blood give me amnesty No I can't handle me Not where I wanna be But best believe I plan to be Flesh wrestle against the spirit Main event and slambery So I need them every day This daily, weekly, annually Iron sharp as iron So I'm strengthened by my brethren We may not meet down here But guaranteed the link in heaven The born again and righteous Are the ones he's gonna let in Let's keep the faith and be amongst the saints When they step in